This is Hemant Mehta for the Friendly Atheist Podcast. If you like what you're listening to, please go to patreon.com slash friendlyatheistpodcast to support the show. Uh, Today's a different type of episode because I've been out of town for several days, but I have an interview that I hope uh, you will listen to because I think you will like it. You may have already encountered Gloria Beth Amodio's writing in places like Publishers Weekly, the Literary Review, and American Atheist magazine. She received her MFA in creative writing from the New School and currently works at an advertising agency in New York City. She recently wrote a book called God's Ex-Girlfriend, a memoir about loving and leaving the evangelical Jesus. So you know I had to talk to her. Uh, Gloria Beth, thanks so much for joining us. And just to start off with, I want to get into your time with Campus Crusade for Christ and what got you out of there. But just to set the stage here, can you tell people what your religious upbringing was like so we know when things really started to become serious for you? Yeah, sure. So I was raised kind of like cafeteria Catholic, like sort of a more like, I would say a progressive form of Catholicism. Um, Like my priests like gave communion to gay people and like people who had, you know, gotten divorced without getting their marriages annulled, like all this stuff that like, I remember learning later on, you weren't supposed to really do in a Catholic church. So like, and then my parents, you know, my father had been raised like Catholic. So had my mom, like, you know, my dad, like went to a school with nuns and stuff like that. But as he got older, my dad was like, you know, like, I really not going to take all of this so seriously. I'm going to pick and choose what I like and what I want to believe. And that's kind of how my parents raised me. Like they were like, yeah, we pick and choose what we want to believe. My mom was very spiritual from the sense of she was like, yeah, I've seen my brother who died. I saw him as a ghost when he was a little kid, like after he died when he was 11, like, you know, and she, she, you know, kind of raised me her and my dad kind of raised me with this sense of spirituality of like, there's definitely something after death. We, we know there is like, and it's like good, but we don't really need to know all the specifics of it. We just need to live like a good life now, you know? Believing in God is good, but the specific form that takes is up for grabs. Yeah, exactly. And like, yeah, I think that my parents both kind of, especially my dad, like wanted me to believe in something. Um, My dad, I remember when I was in, uh, right before I went to college, I got really interested in Wicca. And I uh, went to like a weird ceremony with my friend where like I walked like counterclockwise around a circle and changed earth air fire water and my dad i remember getting home that night and my dad was still up like flossing his teeth because he was just so nervous that i'd gone to a wiccan spiritualist again or whatever and he was just like you know i really don't know about this wicca i really think you need jesus involved in this (laughs) he wasn't like it, it, it had nothing to do with him being like you need to believe in christianity like my dad was always like you know i believe a muslim can go to hell not not go to hell heaven yeah yeah He's like, I always believe, I believe a Muslim can go to heaven. Like, so he, uh, and, and that no one goes to hell unless they're like really, really bad people. Um, so like, that was like, they definitely were not like hardcore by any means, especially in the way that I became. So by the time you're starting college, you would say you're religious of some sort, but maybe the label doesn't quite fit. Any of the available labels don't really fit. I was, yeah, I was kind of like a seeker. Like I was Uh seeking like, you know, something, but at the same time, I wasn't seeking anything like in particular, very stringent. I remember again, going to that, like my Wiccan friends little like chant fest and being like, maybe I'll put an altar up in my room. And then I was like, that'll be weird. Like if I have a Wiccan altar, I feel like people are going to think that's weird. And so like, I was also like very like socially aware of like what would make me weird and what would make me not. <laughs> like, I, yeah. So yeah, so I like believe this up, but I was one thing that I was that ends up kind of relating to what I became was I was very straight edge like I was very scared of drinking and drugs and alcohol you know I had seen my mom like abusing prescription medications from a very young age and so like I had a very I had a fear of being out of control like and I believed that drinking and drugs would get me there and I sort of like you know in my sort of naive before my prefrontal cortex was developed mind I was like like the Lord of the Rings is where it's at. And there is a battle between good and evil. And like, so, so it's like, I sort of like bought into like the, some black and white 
thinking, but I didn't buy into it from the evangelical standpoint. Like I was aware of evangelicals. I was aware of people who I called it in my mind, I called it taking the Bible literally. And I thought that that was just like, crap like th there was no way that that was real in any stretch of the, by any stretch of the imagination and so um I I didn't like that like but I did like this idea that there was like some roadmap to life that like stay away from drugs and alcohol they're bad but if you don't do that stuff then you'll live a good life like I liked the idea again probably in like my young mind that like there was like some way that I could have a better life than what I necessarily grew up with watching you know stuff that my mom was going through so you're you're straight edge you're playing it by like the quote-unquote moral playbook I mean that's right up the alley for a lot of evangelical churches and oh, yeah. of course they very clearly have things like seeker services to get I, I use that word uh, loosely to get people just like you in their fold um and it seems like you're ripe for the picking so when you get to college that's really where your uh, memoir kind of lifts off when it comes to this stuff what happened at the beginning of college that really made you go in this one direction so I was like, again, like I was kind of like seeking and I, but I was mostly, I was mostly just scared. I was terrified of like the world around me. And, you know, I, I had kind of been warned by the adults around me, like, be careful of sororities and fraternities. Like, you know, th those people like are going to like make you jump off a bridge for entry into their social circle and stuff like that. Like I was warned about like all of those things with college. Um, and I remember, uh, you know, again, having this straight edge mindset and them, uh, being in a, um, weird little like freshman orientation and there were a bunch of like staff members who were just like older people like you know sophomores and juniors and seniors and they decided to play a game of never have i ever with us and they're like never have i ever had sex with like three people in a hot tub and everybody raised their hands like i've totally done that uh-huh which was no one had done that probably <laughs> like raise their heads like yeah that's me and i was just terrified i was like is this what i'm gonna have to do in order to be accepted in college to be accepted in the adult world and I was just so scared because again like I was just very afraid of anything that would make me feel out of control in any way so I went down to the office of student life and was just like I'm a little nervous about college and I'm scared and I told like a like sort of a staff member who was not a student who was more who was an adult about you know what I had heard and then somebody was listening at the door and it was actually the president of Campus Crusade for Christ who was also staffing the event. And she took me aside and she was like, hey, I just want to let you know that I'm a part of a club on campus where like nobody has to do any of those things. And like, I'm at this age. And like, you know, to any like normal college student that would have sounded like terrible, but to me, that sounded amazing. But, but I will say I was also with all of this, even with all of my straight edge proclivities and all my fear and all of that stuff, I still thought evangelicalism was awful and was like evil and terrible. Like I, I would never have just willingly bought into that, even if they promised me, you know, it's like the straight edge moon on a silver platter. Like, <laughs> like we just call that math club, man. Yeah. <laughs> That's what I should have joined, but I was part of it was definitely like a literature girl. Like um had had you heard of Campus Crusade for Christ at yeah. this time or just evangelicals had left a bad taste in your mouth, but maybe you weren't as familiar with uh Campus Crusade? Yeah. Evangelicals left a bad taste in my mouth and the idea of taking the Bible literally, reading the Bible from a literalist lens, those were the terms that I was familiar with. And this is where I think that again evangelicals this is where they really need to be exposed because there's a lot of like um organizational names that evangelicals like live within and we just know things like evangelicalism and the republican party and right-wing politics like we know certain words but we don't know all of the organizations that are sort of like a part of this like massive web of american evangelicalism and even international evangelicalism because they like have their you know hands all around the planet like but like because of this like we need to be able to recognize evangelicals when they come our way and this is one of the reasons i wrote this book like to talk about this very specific um evangelical organization campus crusade for christ and sort of like college ministries in general what are last weekend i had my in-laws over and we needed to make dinner in a crunch 
Instead of ordering out, we did something even easier thanks to ButcherBox. We were able to grab just what we needed and exactly how much we needed from the freezer. After that, everything else was a breeze. You too can skip the grocery store knowing you have the food you trust and the food you chose in your freezer. I know that might sound strange coming from me since I'm vegetarian, but they have a high-quality veggie burger that I absolutely love. They have options for pescatarians, too. And if you eat everything, that's also okay. The food from ButcherBox is high-quality, grass-fed, and free-range. Have peace of mind knowing there are no antibiotics or added hormones. Sign up at ButcherBox.com friendly and get our special deal. ButcherBox is offering our listeners a free-for-a-year offer plus an additional $20 off. Choose salmon, chicken breast, or steak tips free in every order for a year. Sign up today at ButcherBox.com friendly and use code FRIENDLY to choose your free-for-a-year offer plus get $20 off your first order. What other names do they use that might not give send off a signal like we're Christians? Like, because they do use other names to like throw you off the scent. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So uh, they'll say things like "I'm spiritual, not religious." That's a pretty big one. Um, uh, they will say things like "I'm non-denominational." Um, uh, they will say that uh, they are like, yeah, like not they, they will basically say, like, we're not affiliated with any political group, even if they are in like very secret ways. Other college ministries that are like important to know that these are evangelical college ministries and like should stay away from them are like the Navigators, um, InterVarsity. Um, uh, let's see what there, there are a lot of, um, I, a lot of organization. I was thinking of those, uh, he gets us ads that yeah. have been going up recent for the past year or two, but it, it's the same approach, whether it's, uh, designed to be that way or just coincidentally how they decided to do this. It's very much, let's avoid Jesus. Let's avoid God. Let's just draw you in and then we'll spring it all on you in the hopes that we'll get people who, for whatever reason, which I don't know, they never seem to explain what that reason is, but people don't like the brand. Yeah. Yep. Well, that's exactly what it is. So Campus Crusade for Christ, back when I joined, was Campus Crusade for Christ. Now, it's, which is very explicit. It's very explicit. And they knew that that wasn't good. They knew that the words crusade not really helping their cause. So they've since rebranded as crew, which, which is hilarious because they kept crusade. I know. Right. Exactly. But it makes them sound just like a fun social club, you know, right. like it's like rowing, you know, it's like innocuous. Like this is not anything that, you know, you're going to get involved in and you're going to be like pushed down a like hairy political path. Like, um, but so the way that when I got involved, like what actually really drew me in. So it wasn't this weird girl who was the president who was like, come to our meeting. Oh, I went to the meeting. Don't don't get me wrong. Like and I didn't know what meeting I was particularly going to. I didn't really understand. Camp, like you said, Campus Crusade for Christ didn't. It sounded a little weird, like, but it just sounded like, oh, Christians. Well, I grew up Catholic, so I'm a Christian. So therefore, what's the difference? You know, it's like they, they weren't saying we are like hardcore right wing evangelical Christians because they're never going to say that out of the gate or else they're never going to get secular college students. And Campus Crusade for Christ predominantly exists on secular college campuses for this particular reason. They want to convert secular college students, vulnerable secular college students. So I get to this meeting and I see a girl who I've already seen seen before in one of my like freshman classes like and she is this like really like beautiful smart sort of just like laid back person and I was really high strung like in a lot of ways like I wish I was laid back but I wasn't at all like I was you know kind of like fearful of the world around me and this was the most relaxed person I had ever seen and she was so cool like I had already seen like her in social interaction she could talk to anyone about anything like literally she she was afraid of no one and i was afraid of everyone <laughs> and like i saw this girl and i was like what is she doing here like this this group is for like weirdos like me like not for not for people like her like she could she could easily go to a frat party and fit right in like and everyone would like like her like i can't like i just felt like i was you know so socially off the mark you know compared to her but 
turns out like she actually became my best friend and she was the person that like I related to above everyone else like and she kind of like and this is the thing about evangelical crochet this is one of the things they they do and what's most effective about their conversion tactics is they use a tactic called relational evangelism which is essentially the long game like which is hi I am going to like you know basically make relationships I'm an evangelical and I'm going to make relationships with people who share my brand of weird or who just like share my interests. Like if I'm like, you know, a person who really likes the Chronicles of Narnia and the Lord of the Rings and Charles Dickens and like literature and everything like that, I'm going to make friends with other people like me, generally of the same gender because they don't like to do the crossing the gender barrier because they, they're very Mike Pence about everything. Like. <laughs> This whole like, you know, oh, I don't want to like, you know, sit next to a woman or else I'm going to cheat on my wife like that. Evangelicals can very much be like that. Um, So but her, (laughs) of course, what evangelicals couldn't predict was that I and what I had not acknowledged to myself yet was bisexual. And that was like the biggest thing. Like I was terrified of that. I was terrified of the fact that I was bisexual. I was afraid that I was gay, period. And I was like, I don't want to be this. I'm I, I want to just be a normal straight person. I already feel weird enough in the world. And if I am gay or bisexual, it's just gonna make me weirder. I don't want to be this. But this girl, I was so drawn to her. She was so amazing. And I just didn't understand. I was like, I want to be her favorite person in the world. And deep down, I kind of knew that I liked her, but I was like, no. We're never going to go there. I'm never going to let myself go there. I am just going to become her favorite person in the world. So not only are they drawing you in through your shared bonds, and not only are they saying, oh, you got to stick to other women here because that's how we do things. Uh, it's You're already figuring, it's like you're already figuring out a path out of there because uh-huh. of these feelings. But before we get into that, I'm curious, like, because you talked about this a little bit, what did crew i'll use that just for simplicity even if it was different at the time what did crew do to convince you we're not weirdos you should join our club this is the place for you to like express and live out your christianity because it's not just the one uh person you met that you were drawn to it's got to be everything else going around there too like what did they do to pull you in what did they do to pull everyone else in and why do you think it was effective they offered me a life. They offered me like a clear cut adult life. They offered me a social circle. They offered me community. They offered me everything that I had always wanted and that I really felt like I never could have like in any sort of like clear cut, um, like sort of like a unconditional way. Like they offered me like people to hang out with no matter where I was. Like basically if I became an evangelical Christian and I like, you know, it's like committed myself to crew and just this movement in general, and then got funneled into all the churches that they wanted me to be a part of, I could travel anywhere in the world and have a place to stay for free. Like I would always have somebody who would welcome me with open arms and call me their sister in Christ and give me safety, like give me food, give me shelter. Like I would never, ever, ever be alone. Which ironically sounds like the better aspects of a sorority or a fraternity. Mm hmm. This is what I'm saying. <laughs> like, really, like, everyone's like, be careful of the sororities and fraternities. They're going to make you jump off a bridge where it's like, be careful of the evangelical groups on college campus that are preying on vulnerable students because they're going to funnel you into their group and then, like, you know, basically, like, trick you into voting right for right wing <laughs> Like, you know, it's like, and kind of like essentially like take over your life and ruin it in some ways. So. How long did it take then before you realized that this isn't just about Christianity and a relationship with Jesus, but that there were certain beliefs that they held? And I I know crew isn't, you know, quote unquote, political. It's it's none. uh, What's the word I'm looking for here? They don't take political positions per se, but you do have to be anti-LGBTQ if you are part of that organization. You do have to have a position on abortion. At what point 
do you realize, oh, there's more to it than just believing in Jesus and everything like that? How long did it take before they sprung that stuff on you? So probably about, so it took, it took Kate, the person who I met, the woman that I sort of fell in love with secretly, a year to convert me, a year to actually get me to pray the prayer of Jesus and accept Jesus as Lord and Savior with her and then just change my mind and change my life. Within the, the following year, that's when she started slowly springing things on me. And sort of some of it came from just my own curiosity because I was noticing some things around me. And I was like, okay, wait a second. What what do we think about homosexuality? Like, do we actually think? What do we think? Yeah, yeah exactly. Like, I, I mean, what I think. We have to like think a certain way. Like, like I very like, you know, slowly began to realize and something that she had told me was that like, you know, there are things that are true and then there are ways that we feel and truth and our feelings are like two like very different things. Like, and we can't rely on the way we feel because the way we feel can be influenced by all sorts of factors. And some of those factors are really bad. Like, you know, so basically like they kill your intuition, like, but then they're like, but then there's like truth and whether or not we like it, it's still truth. So I was like, what is the truth on this scenario like on on the idea of like homosexuality and gay marriage and i remember her telling me well what do you think about it i was like well i think it's fine i think anybody (laughs) they want like you know it's like i don't think it's any of my business and she was like well that's not what god thinks and then she very clear she she very slowly sort of started to like explain to me this idea that like um, homosexuality is a sin because it's outside of God's natural order. And even if you feel really good when you're in an LGBTQ plus relationship, that doesn't mean that it is good. Like you're still going outside of God's order. So bad messed up things are happening inside of your soul and like all of this stuff. And I remember it was like, so like ethereal in a way that it was hard to say, well, that's not true because I couldn't prove it wrong necessarily. Right. Like you can't argue against whatever someone says is God's truth. Yeah, exactly. Or, or just against the fact that like, Hey, like some messed up stuff is happening in your soul on a very slow corroding basis like you know it's like I couldn't like you know I had no empirical evidence to say that that wasn't true like you know and so and and also like believing this was basically like solidified my friendship with her and solidified my my experience within this like larger group so it was like, you know, basically like as time went on again, like I very slowly, yes, like over the next year, I started to get like more of the messages and be told I had to believe more of the things like and then but it, yeah. but they never said like, hey, if you want to be a level three thetan in our organization, like these are the things you have to adhere to. It's not like they sprung it on you at any point. It's it's there. It's just like not in writing at any point. Yeah, it's not as explicit as Scientology, but as you sort of go, so so you do sort of go up the levels in terms of leadership, like, and, you know, they, they do say that at the beginning, they're feeding you spiritual milk, which is all of the good stuff, which is like, God loves you and Jesus loves you and you're never alone in life because you have this entire community. But also, even if the entire community abandons you, you still have Jesus and, you know, God's your boyfriend forever, blah, 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 like all this stuff, like the really nice fuzzy stuff. And then they start to feed you the spiritual meat, which is the you're a sinner, sin owns you like, but with Jesus, sin doesn't own you anymore. Like, and just like, and, and also like homosexuality is bad. Abortion is evil. Blah, blah, like all of the like, you know, weird stuff that you see the web. Basically what they're saying is, so, you know, all the Westboro Baptist church, like how they're like around picketing and all of that stuff. They're right. It's <laughs> We don't say it like that because we're never going to get anyone like in on this. The execution is wrong, but the signs make a good point. Fred Phelps, 100% correct. (laughs) But but the way he's saying it, we don't like that. Like, Mm -hmm. because we're trying to like draw people to the Lord. And part of me wants to think, at least for some of their members, there had to be something that says, listen, if we're trying so hard to hide what it is we believe because we know it's going to turn off all these people like maybe there is a problem with these beliefs like Mm -hmm. i'm just trying to connect two dots here and it seems like they're refusing to do that so the way that they the way that they make those dots like again it's it's so much it's about so much more than logic like in you in your head like you're like that does that 100 makes sense like if i have to hide like 
literally like 75% of my belief system from people when I'm trying to like convert them to it, like then that's a problem. But the feelings are that like, I've got, again, this beautiful community. Like I've got all of these people all of a sudden who love me. I've got this like future in this community. Like I could get married within this community and have kids within these community and it's going to be safe and wonderful and beautiful and I'll never be alone again. And I want to bring other people into this. Like, and yes, it's a trade-off to believe that like all of these awful things, like, but are they so awful if they lead to this beautiful life, you know, this beautiful life in which I'm never alone. And so you start to, and also what happens is you're, you get into these communities and then you see so many other people who believe this too. And that is a huge influence factor in your own mind, because as like, as a human being, again, we're so influenced, we're, we're such social creatures, like, and we're so influenced by the people around us. So we see, oh, all of these, like, there's like 200 person church. Some of these people are like, really seem really normal and also seem really smart like these are like engineers and doctors like it's like it's like very intellectually like rigorous intelligent people believe this like you know are if i say that all of this is not true am i saying that they're stupid because i don't believe they're stupid you know and so yeah how how much of this is more about bringing in people like you who just wanted to belong and have this network and this community. I mean, you were actively hoping to find that. How much of Cruz, Cruz power was about providing that and not so much about Jesus? Mm, I would say, uh, <laughs> I don't know. It's hard for me to think any of it's actually about Jesus because Jesus is just a a tool that they use to like get people like into a wider like social movement and into voting booths like you know um and into like essentially like white male power and control so i I wouldn't say like really any of it is about like jesus like it's um but but the so so jesus is like you know one of those factors like but then the rest of it yes is about like getting people into these it's it's really just about amassing human beings it's about like amassing bodies and manpower essentially one of the things you wrote about is i think you said there were three steps to successfully convert someone and they were number one act normal which you said they were when they found you um, to target people with similar interests, like we discussed. And do you remember what the third one was? I think the third one, uh, wait. It was, I think, leveraging people. Le- leveraging people's vulnerabilities. Yeah, like, w- tell me about that one, like their traumatic histories and all that. How did they find a Let way to do that? Pass of your convertees. <laughs> yeah. So um, essentially, like, you want to find like what your convertee has like what their biggest issues are and you want to present jesus as the sole doctor for those issues like you want to say like like for me it was like my you know my mother had a prescription pill addiction and that had like in that that had affected me in deep ways like and had like traumatized me in so many ways and it was basically like all the pain that you feel from that and all the all the fear you feel from that Jesus is here to heal all of that like Jesus is going to make you new again he's going to make you whole again like you're his child he's your father and your boyfriend and all of these things all in one he's everything that your soul could ever need like and he's going to come in and like heal that all all of that pain inside of you so like it's basically like again through relational evangelism which is like really what crew excels at like they meet people and then they get to know them and they bury themselves in their lives. And then they dig, 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 dig until they find this trauma. Like, and then they promise that, and, and, but then throughout that digging, like they're getting closer and closer and closer to that person. So like this relationship really becomes something that that person relies on, that the convertee like relies on, like, and then once they get into that trauma, like that stuff that like, they're not really, the convertee's not really telling anybody, they're sort of, just like you know latching onto them in a very meaningful way like information is powerful sharing information with somebody is powerful like it's not easy to get trauma out of everybody to to talk to people about their trauma or to get them to talk about their trauma to you you know 
And so, yeah, it's just really a way to like glue to someone <laughs> to get them to like, yeah, really share more and more with you. I've always found it disturbing that they might say something like, you know, homosexuality is wrong. It's a sin, which is something they, you know, whole cloth made up. But they're like, we have diagnosed the sin and we're providing the cure that we also made up for you. And so we're going to say all this stuff in your life is a problem. And by the way, we have the only solution for it. If you want any healing of any sort, the only solution. And I'll say also on top of it, the solutions are so bogus, like, because essentially I like to think of evangelicalism kind of like a diet. Like this is where like diets and evangelicalism kind of like shake hands. Like they're both offering like solutions that are completely and wholly unattainable. And a lot of those like and that those solutions are things that you have to do a lot to get like to the place that they say you need to. Like with like, you know, Weight Watchers, all you got to do is sign up for Weight Watchers and give them the money. But then you also have to follow by this point system that's pretty much impossible to follow by for the rest of your life. Whereas with evangelicalism, all you got to do is accept Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. But then you basically like have to live like Jesus Christ. <laughs> like, and be, like, whatever this like perfect human being is that like evangelical pastors have sort of like, you know, lifted out of the Bible. Like mm -hmm. you have to follow all of those rules too. So you're always going to be like chasing these unattainable standards. Like, but by doing that, by making you chase unattainable standards, they're just keeping you in it and like making you think you need it more. And, you know, that's kind of how it works. One thing I found extremely creepy in your book is you talked about how you were going on a summer mission trip one year and they quizzed you on your sexual history. Mm -hmm. What was up with that? That one I had not heard of before. Uh, if you don't mind, can you talk about that at all? Well, 100%. That was one of the, <laughs> that was extremely creepy. So what they did was they um, made me fill out an application ahead of time for this summer project, it was called. It's a uh, basically a um, like mission strip. It was like a 10 week mission strip where I would go to a location and I would like work on converting people and learning how to convert people well. But I would live with like 40 other college students who were also all trying to convert people. And we would just basically be in this big like culty house together. Um, and on the application, they wanted to know like, you know, everything about my testimony and about how I come to know Jesus, but then also everything about like anything that I'd ever done or thought sexually. And so they asked like on the application, if I had ever had like, you know, any homosexual fantasies, if I had ever struggled with homosexuality, all that stuff. And, you know, Kate had told me to be like really, really, really honest on this application because the more honest I was, the more I was going to be able to like, basically like be helped with all of this things I struggled with. And they, uh, and so, yeah, so I was just like, I said on the application, like, yes, I have struggled with homosexual thoughts and feelings. I, you know, had watched like porn since I was like 14 and it had always been women and all of this stuff. Um, and I had also masturbated and I had, I had generally thought about women when I was masturbating. And so I, I wrote all of that out. And these were things I had never said out loud to anyone. I think that the first time I ever actually wrote them down was on that application. And then, you know, Kate coached me afterwards. She was like, OK, let's talk about like what you wrote on your application, like, you know, because they're going to ask you every question about everything you said on your application you know, on the actual interview on the phone. And I was like, what? I'm going to have to talk about this? Like, I was terrified. I was like, oh, no, 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 I don't want to talk about this. And then I had to basically tell her that I had written this on my application. And I was terrified that she was going to be like, you know, afraid of me and hate me for sure. To, to what end, though? What are they? Because trying to go through a list of supposed sins that all these people, applicants, have had, um, to, to what purpose are they trying to weed out people who have any sin? Because, I mean, their thinking is everyone's a sinner. Like, to what end? Like, what are they trying to, why now? Why before a summer mission trip? What are they hoping to learn about you that they haven't already figured out? They're just trying to indoctrinate you further. Like, the more information they get about you, the more that the more they can get you bought into their belief system. Like, and the more vulnerable they can make you, like, the more the, they they want to keep you. Like, no, they I mean, it makes it sound like if you said, I want to volunteer to clean up garbage on the side of the highway somewhere, 
they would be asking you the exact same question then because it's just another opportunity for you to confess your sins, not yeah. that it's tied to whatever you're trying to do. Yeah. Yes. It's an opportunity for you to confess your sins and for them to gain control over you. Because really, at the end of the day, the mission strip wasn't really about like what I was doing and converting people. It wasn't really about like gaining convertees. It was about keeping me in the system. So like, you know, and so if they could know more about me and, and know about like my sexual past and my sexual stuff and everything like that, and then tell me it was wrong and that they that I needed them in order to overcome it, then they, you know, just like, you know, had me further like and again like we lived in this little house this little house with like 40 other students like i i had never been so indoctrinated like until i came off that mission trip like i came off like what they say like on fire for the lord like i out of that just wanting to i moved to new york city and i wanted to convert like all of new york city like after that missions trip what was it what was it about that trip and the people at on that trip that made you just so passionate about this so again, it was more of the community aspect, that social creature thing where like, you know, we just like want to be around people and like all of these people became my best friends and I got to know them so well. And they were all my age. Like they were, it wasn't like, you know, people like who like spanned the age demographic. They were all my age. And I was also, again, like at that age, like I was in my like very early twenties, like and I, you know, I think I saw this in another documentary recently that was talking about uh, social development and how like when we're teenagers, like everything's all about relationships and about making friends and about like finding a mate in a way like that's what our brains are wired to do. Campus Crusade takes advantage of that age and like brings you into this area where like everybody you're basically like, you know, it, it, around all of these other people who are your same age and who are also like you know, looking for those means, like, you know, the means to those ends, like to like pair off and like get a family and do all of this stuff that, that they know your, you know, monkey brain is trying to do <laughs> at that point in time. And so there was that, but also, so I talk about this a little bit in my book about the difference between initiative evangelism and relational ev evangelism. So crew believes in both and they um, espouse both tactics. So initiative evangelism is walking up to somebody on street and or, or on a beach or a concert or wherever and saying to them, hey, do you want to know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior? Getting into a spiritual conversation with them. And then relational evangelism is what had been practiced on me and what had got me into the faith, which was that whole thing of, um, you, you you know, it's like finding like people like like who are like you who share your interests and then indoctrinating them that way, like getting into their lives. That is the effective method of evangelism. Initiative evangelism is not very effective, but I don't believe initiative evangelism, walking up to people on the street, is ever about actually converting people. Like it's about humiliating you, the converter. And getting you to do things that are humiliating and are embarrassing, because if you're doing those things that these people told you to for this cause, you are more likely to stay in the movement because you just put yourself out on the line. You're getting like, hazed. Yeah, you exactly. <laughs> hazed. Fraternities and sororities. Again, like, what are we really worried about? <laughs> like, you know, before he will go to college, like maybe this. What was I mean? Looking back, what was probably the most cringeworthy thing you remember doing for crew? Oh my god! I, <laughs> I mean, they're definitely like. Oh, basically, on that summer project, they made us uh, work at a McDonald's. Um, they basically had us work at like fast food chains. Like some of us worked at McDonald's, some of us worked at Dunkin' Donuts. Some people worked at uh, little like you know arcade shops on the boardwalk because this was in Hampton Beach, New Hampshire. Um, and yeah, everything was about um, trying to convert like you know our coworkers, our McDonald's coworkers, and stuff. Wait, wait. Like that. Did you have to get a job at McDonald's the normal way, and then use that job to convert the people who are also working there? Basically, yeah, they so they actually they had already formed relationships with these McDonald's and nothing to provide you with workers and stuff. Kind of. They, I still had to apply and like, you know, get interviewed and everything like that. But they were just like, we love these crew kids. They're such hard workers. Sure. We were taught to be obedient and sure. do everything that they told us to do. So they loved hiring us because we were great workers. I mean, I wasn't so great. I was like, <laughs> registers like I'm telling you right now, like pay people who work a million dollars an hour because that is a hard so, 
it's so hard. I was terrible at it. I'm not arguing. <laughs> but okay, so you're you're working there and then also trying to convert. I mean, I'm thinking mission trips like, oh, you're building one house or you're building a church or you're going to, you know, some country that doesn't actually want you there. But no, you're working at McDonald's for your trip. It wasn't that cool. Yeah, it wasn't that cool. It was literally you're working in McDonald's and you are using that as a training ground to learn how to evangelize people. Because one day you're going to be working in a corporate office somewhere. Mm. You're all college students. You're all studying something. You're all probably going to become like, you know, mid to upper middle class. Like, And you're going to be worrying it, working in potentially sort of influential sectors. So we're going to teach you how to start playing that long game now. You know, it's like, so like make relationships with your coworkers, try to convert them and like, you know, invite them back to this little weird culty house that we're all living in and then like try to indoctrinate them that way. And so, yeah, so that's what we did. We tried to indoctrinate all of our coworkers and honestly, like people loved us, like our coworkers, loved us. they almost worked sometimes like, um, and I would say that was cringeworthy. And then also just running around Panama City Beach with all the MTV beach partygoers and trying to convert. Oh my them. God. Cringeworthy. <laughs> I was like, I was seriously like, they told us we had to like wear like tons of clothes. So I was dressed in like, you know, because I couldn't show any cleavage or else it right. would be like, you know, I'd be, you know, sending my brothers in Christ to like, you know, to hell or something like that. So like I had to like, I was like sweating up and down the beach. <laughs> Wearing the cotton sweater on the beach. So I mean, so while the rest of us are watching MTV Spring Break and mocking the people who are at Spring Break, really the camera should have panned over and caught all of you trying oh, to convert would. them because that's a show I would watch. Uh-huh, yeah. <laughs> all the Campus Crusade kids trying to convert the people. We also one time uh, approached some weird guy on a megaphone who was like, you're all going to hell. So he was like a Fred Phelps type guy yeah. like, on a megaphone. And we approached him and we were like, that's not how you talk to people about Jesus. Oh my God. You <laughs> get into fights with these people. It's a whole <laughs> whole thing so at what point here do you start to realize uh you've taken a very wrong turn when it comes to theology oh my god well it took a while so i moved to new york city and i you know was on fire for the lord and i tried to convert everybody in my grad school program and you know really almost got people i almost got my 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 roommate i was real close to getting my roommate like sure that went over well at the new school oh i know right and that's that's the funniest thing and campus crusade loved it they were like first of all they're like we're so glad you're at the new school because we've never been able to get a campus crusade going (laughs) and i was like just watch me like and i went in there and i put up like flyers and i tried it it didn't work because no one wanted to be a part of a christian club an outwardly Christian club. Like what started working was me like going on like, you know, one-on-one like sort of like coffee dates with my friends and started to talk, talking to them about my belief system and doing the relational evangelism one-on-one thing with people and trying to bring them into church that started working. When I started realizing I had really taken a wrong turn was honestly like, again, for all of the like relational things that campus crusade had brought me, it also was really lacking. Like one of the things that like Campus Crusade like probably should have done is they really should have just, if they really wanted to keep me, they should have gotten me like hooked up with like a husband, like or something. <laughs> like, they should have like, they should have been like, you marry her. And then I maybe would have stayed in it. Like, because I would have just like, you know, been <laughs> like, well, I, I don't know. Like, I hope not. I'm actually really glad they didn't do that. But like, I was so much, I was longing for a relationship. I was longing for other relationships. I was longing to feel sort of normal. And I just like started to like, sort of like, and I was, I was at the new school more and more. And as I made friends with all these people, now as I was trying to convert all of these people who were like secular, I kind of started to see like, oh, wait a second, they're living good lives. These people are good like and there was always this there was this idea in uh evangelical christianity it's called the imago dei it's that people are like made in the image of god so you're gonna see good things in secular people and you're gonna see things that remind you of jesus in secular people and they're gonna do things that are on their face good but don't don't like fall for it that doesn't mean that they're actually living good lives and that they're actually like you know it's like gonna be like okay in the end It's just the fact that we're all made in the image of God. So we all have some leftover God parts in us. So like, you know, don't let that draw you away from Christ thinking that they're actually good people. But then like 
as I started to hang out with these people, and as I started to really fall in love with them, like love these friends of mine, because that's what I was taught to do. That's what I was supposed to do. I just started seeing some things. I was like, this isn't just the Imago Dei. How could this just be like little parts of God? Like some of these actions, like I remember like my friend was at like I was at a restaurant with my friend and you know they had been restaurant workers so this uh restaurant that you know had worked next door to their restaurant gave us a really nice bottle of sake and my friend um basically heard a man at the table next to us being like hey just so you know it's a really nice bottle of sake I love sake I've been trying it all around the city enjoy that bottle and she immediately got up got him a glass and pulled him a full poured him a full glass of it like and I remember just being like that is not something that somebody with just like mere little stardust god parts in them does like that's like really good action like and I struggled with that I struggled with thinking that this friend of mine deserves hell like and then like on top of it like again I was really longing for like a real relationship like I was longing for just like real human things like I wanted to be with somebody I wanted to have a family and I was basically like starting to like realize that like you know it's like I just wasn't really interested in any of the people that I was meeting in the Christian movement like I wasn't really feeling like there was like any sort of like connection romantically with any of those people like and it just I don't know I was really struggling with it and so I started falling in love with all of my friends I was trying to convert and that was <laughs> I mean, it sounds in a way like all that relational stuff that you were supposed to use to help win them to Christ, uh, they, without even knowing it, use their relational skills to make you realize now that you're, you're on the wrong page here. That was exactly it. Like, it was like, and for me, in my case, I did everything right according to what Campus Crusade wanted me to do and what the evangelical, the wider evangelical movement wanted me to do, and it just all backfired on them because, like, I did it probably a little too well. <laughs> like, and, uh, and yeah, and I started like longing for relationships that like the movement like couldn't actually give me and longing for like a depth of relationship and a realisticness of relationship. Cause then I joined like basically a, in a last ditch effort to save my faith, I joined this like women's group because I was just like, I am like really struggling. I'm feeling like I can't be a part of this anymore. Like I have questions and like, I feel like I just need to be around women. Cause I still wasn't aware I was bisexual yet. And I was like, I think men are distracting me. It's the men. Like, I need to get away from the men and be around women. And then I was in this women's group and they were all like really real and really cool and very genuine, but they were all mentally, they were all like depressed as fuck, like so depressed, like, and they were all in the same like sort of boat as me, just feeling as if like, you know, it's like this movement isn't like really working out for us, but also like we have to keep doing this, like, because we've given so much of our lives to it right now. And again, you talk about Scientology and like learning about the Thetans and like, you know, going the levels up, like evangelicalism does that too. In that like you give more and more years of your life to this, it's harder and harder to walk away because not only you are, not only are you gaining all of this community, but you're also the longer you're involved in it, the more you're going to have to turn around and be like, oops, sorry, I was wrong. Like, and that's really hard for people to do. That was really hard for me to do. And so like, all of these women like felt the same way. They all just felt like, you know, we're not getting the life that we want out of this, but we just have to keep going because we're sort of stuck at this point. Like, and I felt that. And then eventually, like one day I sort of woke up and realized like, but why do I have to keep doing this? I don't have to keep doing this. I can stop doing this. I can choose to not do this anymore. And that was sort of like waking up from a dream. Honestly, it was like, you know, sort of like, it was literally like my mind had been overtaken. And then it's like, I just like, you know, woke up out of sleep, like just level after level after level over, I would say over the course of like two years. Then took, I was going to ask, did you go cold turkey there? No, it was gradual over two years that it just kind of faded away. Yep, started to fade away. And I just felt myself waking up and waking up and waking up until one day I realized that I had an actual choice and I didn't have to do this anymore, that there was no reason for me to keep doing it. And what changed for you when you finally allowed yourself to think that? Everything. Well, the first thing that changed was all of a sudden the weight of having to convert everybody around me like fell off my shoulders. And that was a huge 
huge, significant weight. Because again, I wasn't raised evangelical. Like a lot of people that I knew in the movement were raised evangelical. All of their families were evangelical. All of their friends were evangelical. They didn't really like interact much with non-evangelicals. Like, and when they did, they still had like a whole like, you know, family of evangelicals to go back to. So it didn't really affect them as much because I had not been raised evangelical. Like everybody, like, you know, in my world before the evangelicals was non-evangelical. And so I was trying to convert my entire family. Like my sister had cystic fibrosis. I was like afraid she was going to die, like, and then like go to hell. So I was desperately trying to convert her and like everybody that I met in New York City. And then all of a sudden to not have like the weight of their souls on me anymore was like a huge relief. Like, and to not like be afraid that I wasn't going to see them in heaven. And also to just not like have to think about the afterlife anymore. To just be able to live my life right now and not have to worry about that. Like, so that was the first immediate change was I remember going on a bike ride in, in Prospect Park in Brooklyn and biking around and not having to think that all of these people were going to hell. And it was and that I needed to play a part in saving them by, you know, telling them about Jesus. One of the things you brought up is that you felt uh, crew failed you after you graduated college. How was that? the case and maybe you've already said some of it yeah so crew basically like crew sort of they're they're known as a parachurch organization that's what they call them so basically what they they're not the church but they fulfill a lot of functions of the church by like coming in and converting you and then giving you these like monthly services where everybody's playing guitars and then somebody comes up and sort of pastors by talking giving a sermon and stuff like that but what they do is they get you in through these methods and then they funnel you into churches like but for me, what happened was crew acted so much like a church. They like did like by fulfilling all of these functions of churches, like no church really matched up to them. Like they didn't really like stick around. So after I graduated, like I really wasn't a crew student anymore. I was supposed to go off and like be a part of a church and I was a part of a church, but it still wasn't as like impactful i think as this crew this wider crew movement where again everybody was my age like and i just had all these staff members who were like examples of functioning adulthoods but i didn't have to be quite there yet then all of a sudden like when i like you know it's like went into these regular old churches like i didn't connect with people in the same way that i did in the crew movement because they weren't my age they weren't at my they, they weren't like at my life stage and it just wasn't as sort of i think magical as indoctrinating of an experience as it had been with crew for me. I know this list might be long, but I'm curious, what do you think is the most harmful thing that crew taught you? Oh, um, for me, it was that my body, and I don't even know if they necessarily taught me this, but they definitely reinforce this. And this is the thing that I think is so interesting about evangelicalism in general and like these college ministries is that they take like beliefs that we already sort of hold in society. And I know like I had heard like told to me in like the early 2000s, which is that like if I like wore a certain outfit, like men were going to um, act a certain way because I was inviting them to act that way. Crew just reinforced that belief in very, very, very deep ways, like by saying that, like, you know, again, you can't show your cleavage like you can't like, uh, you know, uh, wear, wear these kinds of clothes. They can't be too tight. Like you have to like cover up like this or else like men are going to want you and that's going to be your fault. And whatever they think about you, whatever their thoughts are, that is sin. And those thoughts, like, you know, again, it's your responsibility to keep men from acting a certain way. And that like did not leave me for a very long time. I still have that like a little bit, like when I look in the mirror and it's been so many years like, and, and I still like carry that around with me. So, I mean, that was pretty harmful and that has like harmed me in deep and impactful ways. But like also just like all of the stuff about like the act of homosexuality being a sin that was really harmful on a societal level. Like, you know, their beliefs on abortion, that was really harmful on a societal level. But also the idea that they are not politically affiliated, like 
is very harmful because they are. They're 100% politically affiliated. Like they're uh, the chief operating officer, John Rogers, like of crew is like on the board of the Alliance Defending Freedom, which is like one of the most like harmful right wing like groups out there, political organizations out there. Like it's like they're trying to forge a stronger relationship between crew and the ADF. They're a hundred percent politically affiliated. So by saying, by, by crew teaching me that they are some non-denominational organization that like doesn't actually have any agenda. That's really, really harmful because they 100% do. They're just like cloaking themselves in this like sort of like innocuous, um, you know, thought system it's a, it's a like you know viewpoint like like thinking that like they are not as dangerous as they actually are that they're just trying to bring you to jesus when that's not actually what they're doing at all i'm mean, trying to build an army to be fair that's not unique to crew right like because a lot of evangelical churches other christian organizations play the exact same game of pretending <laughs> they have no affiliation with any of this stuff when there's no space in their groups or their churches for like a progressive Democrat. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. No, they all do it. But crew is like, again, just a part of the machine. They're a very well-oiled machine within the extremely well-oiled machine. Like, you know, but yeah, this is like, they're all underneath the same umbrella of like toxicity, like to like, you know, just like the human way of life in my opinion so yeah it's definitely not unique to them but crew is like th this is the thing with evangelical christianity like it's all bad in my opinion <laughs> like sure. it's all bad like and it's all bad in the same exact way like for the same exact reason which is that the viewpoint doesn't allow for anything but itself and it wants theocracy like and that's you know that's the goal uh, what would you say to someone like you starting college, what would you say to someone in that position? They're in college, they're thinking about joining crew or InterVarsity or Navigators. Um, like what advice would you give them that you think would be effective? Oof. I would probably tell them, <laughs> I mean, I would say run, but I would also say like, I would say like, there are so many ways to like form friendships in college everybody that you're meeting is in the same exact position as you are like everybody no matter how certain they seem no matter how sure they seem or how developed they seem they're all really confused and they're all really scared like you're not alone in being confused and being scared and in not knowing how your life is going to turn out and being anxious about figuring that out everybody else is anxious too everyone else is scared too you don't have to join a group like this to um you know figure out your life path you really don't need to join any group to figure out your life path like and if any group is like promising you like uh, a life path and all of this stability like it might be kind of suspect because like at the end of the day like you know it's like you can figure that stuff out for yourself like there are ways to do this that don't equal like joining a group like this um, and also I would say like there are motivations in these evangelical groups that are far beyond you. Like they're they're not trying to necessarily like help you figure out your life. Like they're trying to like, you know, convert you into into a wider machine that that has political aims. Like and, you know, if you don't want to be a part of that, like you shouldn't go anywhere near this. And also I would say they are this, like, cause that's the power of crew. The, the power of crew is that like, people don't really understand what it is like until you get into it enough and until they convert you. Like, it's like, if I, I wish I could have said to myself, don't talk to that girl. She is an evangelical Christian who takes the Bible literally. Like, I wish I could have like told her what she was actually dealing with, you know, because I didn't know what I was actually dealing with. And if I did, I, I probably would have had nothing to do with it. Would have been better off with the sorority. Oh, my gosh. Why didn't I just go <laughs> Epsilon? What the heck? Do you have a religious label now? No, I honestly like a non-religious label now. Yeah, I'm probably more atheist slash agnostic. Really, my religious label is I don't care. And I love not caring. Apatheistic. 
Oh my God, apathyistic. I love not, <laughs> not having to carry that weight around with me all the time. I love being able to do whatever the hell I want on my Sundays. I love not having to tithe. Tithing was the worst. I wish I could get all of that money back. Like, I, I'm so glad I don't have to give a percentage of my income to anybody except, you know, things that I legally have to do. Mm -hmm. So yeah, I'm definitely like apathyistic and very much loving it. Do you know what happened to Kate, who you mentioned, the person who kind of attracted you to crew in the first place? Pretty sure she's still in it. <laughs> not Maybe not in crew necessarily, but still in the wider evangelical movement, which is the goal of crew. They don't want to keep you in crew. They just want to keep you with the movement. And last I heard, she's still very much a part of it. And have you heard from anyone who you talk very uh, openly about the people you met, the people you knew in that organization, have any of them read the book? Have they reached out to you since? Any interesting Only the people that I said nice things about who I'm friends with now? <laughs> <laughs> uh, no one else has reached out to me. And I kind of like there's part of me that I'm like, I hope they never hear about this book. They probably have. And I have to be OK with that. And I had to come to peace with that when I wrote it. And when I, you know, got a book deal and like, you know, published it. Um so yeah, they haven't reached out to me though, but I also have most of them blocked on social media. <laughs> they would find my email. <laughs> okay. But I have gotten definitely messages from like rando weirdos on online on my uh, website. Always fun. Oh yeah. Have you heard from anyone who is in crew today? Yeah, people you didn't know, but anyone who's part of the organization or a member who might've uh, read the book and had anything to say? So I haven't heard from anybody within the organization about the book, but I had heard back, uh, you know, a few years ago when I started like tweeting about a lot of this stuff, I heard from somebody because I talked about how I had. So, you know, when I was talking about the whole like uh, having to fill out the application and talk about my mm -hmm. sexual history, then I had to actually talk to a woman about it. You know, this like really like, you know, amazing crew staff woman interviewed me. Um, and, you know, she asked me all these questions about my sexuality. And uh, I said to her, like, you know, yes, I've masturbated before. I've watched pornography. Like, I have, you know, attraction to women sometimes, blah, blah, blah. And then she said, well, just so you know, you're going to be in a room with two other women. You can't masturbate in front of them. And I tweeted about that. And I said, this crew staff woman said that to me. This is disgusting and ridiculous. And As like, if that's just a thing everyone does when they're yeah. around the company that's of others. Like, <laughs> you're just masturbating all the time. Everyone. Like, it was so ridiculous. Like, and I tweeted this out and it got some traction. Mm -hmm. And then from crew, a staff member from crew messaged me on Twitter and was like, I'm so sorry this was your experience. That's terrible. And I'm just like, up. Well, part of me wants to know, like, okay, yeah, fine, bad experience. Are you still doing it? Yeah, uh huh. Yeah, exactly. Do you still believe it? Like, because at the end of the day, like, you know, it's like, listen, crew, it's all about your heart and what you actually believe. Like, you know, and do you still like believe that the act of homosexuality is a sin? If you do, then get away from me and get out of my DMs because, like, I don't really care what your perspective is on how this is making you look right now because that's all about, like, she just, she messaged me and apologized on behalf of all of crew and stuff like that because it wasn't making them look good. And that's what crew is. Crew's all about, like, looking a certain way because their image, like, they rely on their image to convert people. So, um, there used to be an organization. I don't think it exists anymore, but it was the idea was it's a Christian organization um, that's trying to build a bridge between the Christian world and the LGBTQ world. And one of the things that everyone wanted to know is, well, do you think it's a sin? Do you support, you know, marriage equality, things like that? And the answer they always gave is we don't answer such questions because they are divisive. And of course, for people like me, it's like, well, I, I know what your answer is. That's yeah. why you're not answering it. Um, I'm just wondering, like, for that, I don't even know where I'm going with this. I'm just ranting at this point. But there are no doubt members of crew who mean well, who genuinely believe this stuff, who think they are doing what they need to be doing. I'm wondering if there's any way to uh, bridge that gap between the hardcore believers who want to do the right thing for the right reasons and also all the <laughs> overcoming all the horrible things they actually do in the name of Christ. Mm -hmm. So you mean like sort of like make peace with them in some way? like way, Or is that just, no, there is too big of a divide here. And the answer is we need to get you out of the family. A lot. To me, that's kind of 
it. Like, you know, here's the thing. Like, I don't really care what you believe, but I do care if your beliefs, like basically the end goal of your beliefs is theocracy. I care about that. Like, I don't think that like, if you believe that homosexuality is a sin, that's disgusting and horrible. And I don't want to believe that. But like, if that's what your belief is, keep that in your own little world. Don't try to make to, to, to bring that upon everyone else and create laws that like right. keep BTQ plus people from getting married. Same with like, you know, abortion, like, you know, it's like, I don't care if you think that like, you know, that's a baby and it shouldn't be aborted and blah, 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 blah. And it's killing babies and all those awful things that they say, like about women making these choices for their bodies. Like, if you believe that, Okay, believe that for you. <laughs> for you, you know? It sounds like one thing we've learned with the abortion issue and transgender issue is that these people have given up on the power of persuasion. They've given up on trying to say, we have a better argument to draw you to our side. No, it's mm -hmm. just, we'll force it on you because we can. We'll force it on you via laws. Like, right. again, the tactic. Like, this is why organizations like Crew exist, because they're not going to be able to, like, get you or I necessarily just, like, you know, from walking up to us on the street to believe that, like, you know, abortion is evil. Like, but they can get, like, somebody, like, you know, at their most vulnerable point to, uh, like, you know, accept Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior and get this whole community and, like, you know, have a beautiful adult life ahead of them and then say, hey, but in exchange for this community, you got to believe these things like mm. they can do that. And that's why they exist. And that's how they get their numbers. Well, thank you so much for sharing all of this with us. Um, Gloria Beth Amodio's book is called God's Ex-Girlfriend, a memoir about loving and leaving the evangelical Jesus. Where can we find you if anyone listening wants to reach out to you, learn more about you? Uh, you can... Find me on my website at GloriaBethAmadeo.com or you can find me on Twitter at GloriousBeth. Excellent. Thank you so much for your time. I really appreciate it. Of course. Thank you for having me.